Hey friends, Dean here with some exciting news to share. You can now buy us a coffee. That's right. You can help support independent content creators like us by becoming a member of the 3324 Green Room at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324. Our episodes will always be free and that will not change, but your support at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 will help us continue to bring you the best in music and movie podcasting, in our humble opinion. As a Green Room supporter, you'll not only have our undying gratitude, but you'll also be able to vote on which episodes we record and receive other perks for as low as $3 per month. That's the price of a cup of coffee. There's absolutely no obligation and nothing about the show will change. It's not going behind a paywall. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 for all the details. The link will be in the show notes of every episode as well. We'll see you in the green room. We're jumping back to 1971 and diving headfirst into the roots of the singer-songwriter movement with the massive hit album from Carole King, Tapestry. Stay with us. Get ready for the 3324 Podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Coover share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia buff. And Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much more. Welcome, friends, to the 3324 Podcast. Eric, how the hell are you? How the hell are you? I'm good. You <laughs> trying to stay I'm, cool. <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm doing well. Yeah, I got light. We have lights on, but then lights get hot. So then you have to have a fan to. Oh, cool my goodness. It. Yeah. And then the fan makes noise. So you have to have a microphone that doesn't pick up the noise. It There's a I'm, lot to a pocket. You think it's just, you know, uh, push record on, on the right? Lafayette tape recorder from oh, 1977. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in a sauna right now. I mean, I got the AC oh cranking, but it's just uh, the humidity is just absolutely huh? terrible this year. I, I don't know. I don't know if I, hopefully it'll, uh, it'll break soon. So anyway. yeah, hopefully <clears throat> yeah. again, you, if you're listening to this now, you can suffer with us. If you're listening to this in, in the winter, you'd be like, Oh my God, I remember when it was so hot. Right? I'm one of those people yeah. when it's hot, I wish for winter. And then when it's winter, I say, God, I wish it was like, I hate it. I wish it was summer. I, I yeah. can't be, I can't be pleased. That's why we I'm love the fall because the fall is the perfect yeah. time. It's the, it's, it. you know, 70, Autumn. 75, you know, it, it's Autumn cool is enough, it. but it's like, it's not, you know, it's not terribly cold, but yeah, but that's my it, favorite. Well, it's season, different so. than spring. Like, oh, well, spring and autumn are the same. No, autumn is different because it's hot getting cooler as opposed to spring is cold getting warmer. So that's you, right. in, in yeah. autumn, you start out with a base of warmth, but then you add a little cool into it as opposed to coming out of like freezing temperatures where right. they get a little sprinkle of warmth. If not people mention, didn't understand the difference between the seasons, not only do we give music and movie information, <laughs> but we talk about meteorolo meteorological. Yeah, that's how it, it does come up well. a lot, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I guess you always bring up the weather. You're the, you're the first guy with the weather. Ah, you know, goddamn heat. God <laughs> Well, it I is kind my, of I like need you my, say, I need it, my, it, it, my lemonade on the rocks. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, you know, like you say, it, it, it's a little. Well, first of all, it's not easy to sit behind a mic. You know, you, you know, people might think it's easy. Um, it's, it's a easy. little, Don't it's a little nerve wracking sometimes. You get uh, get a little nervous, and everybody you know, you, can you, do a podcast. <laughs> you all can do it. I you all yeah. can do it. It can be yeah. done. 
and we have taken the leap. Eric has taken the leap. He he has uh, jumped in from someone that's not used to speaking. So yeah, from Eric's oh, Eric's standpoint, you've definitely uh, cut, you brought me out of my comfort zone for sure. There's pulled no you kicking and screaming, yeah. and there's some ripped shirts <laughs> to verify that assault <laughs> as well. He kept them. I'm trying to get him. I'm trying to go down to his house so I can rifle through his dresser to get those shirts so I can burn them. <laughs> This way, there's no evidence of, of any type of that manhandling. There you go. But, but we thank you for joining us for this meandering conversation about weather and violence. Uh, we'll get to the music eventually. Don't worry. We're, we're going to get there. But first, we need to ask you to join us on th- uh, social media on 3324 Podcast at uh, Instagram and Facebook. So that's a really neat place to hang out. Uh, if you've got nothing to do on your break when you're at work and you're scrolling through your socials, add us to it. You know, we give you some nice content that you can put a little heart-like on or a little woo emoji. I didn't know that. Or angry emoji if you don't agree with us. So mm-hmm. uh, we'd like mm-hmm. to hear your uh, your feedback that way. Um, but then join us weekly uh, for our content about music and movies as well. So if you've been here before, you've heard it, you know the story. So we're going to move on from it. We're going we're gonna to start the show. Let's start it. What do you think? Let's do it. Ready to start? That's what we're okay. here for. So yeah, well, you know, well, but, well, you know, you know what we should do is we should we should do an episode about something really epic and never talk about, and never get to it. Like like just kind <laughs> of like interesting. Some you know something keeps getting and it's like oh my god it's been an hour okay you know sorry so that's you know, gonna, gonna do it for this episode of the- <laughs> yeah we never yeah. got to talk about Gone with the Wind but you know why not. Yeah, uh, I, I could foresee that. I could foresee that hey, one day. We're, be, we're, we're, so we, terrible. We, to, we rush. We uh, basically we do an episode that is all talking. And then uh, at the end, we just do the stats. And then we technically talked about it and then <laughs> sign off. Yeah, that's about <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> that's so speaking of the stats, uh-huh. that's what we do every episode. If you're new to this, we kind of give you some factual information uh, to carry with you before we get into the opinion and the memories and the chatting. So yep. we'd like to kind of give you a balance. We'd like to give you some some stats and some statistics that you can kind of uh, help help kind of give you some of the background on this album. So for this one, for Carol King's album Tapestry, uh, released in 1971, produced by Lou Adler. Uh, there was only two singles released from this album, but the first single was uh, it's the, the song was It's Too Late. Mm-hmm. The flip side of it, was I feel the earth move. Yeah. Which was a mistake because DJs started playing. I feel the earth move as well because they like that one. So actually it, it hit number one, but it's actually both of those are considered to hit number one <laughs> because they were both, even, even though I feel the earth move was the flip side, it was just as formidable and, and, and DJs oh, yeah. were picking that up as well. Um, so it was kind of like a double sided number one, which you don't really hear too, too much about. And then the other single was so far away which hit number 14. Um, all the songs were written or co-written by Carol King. Mm-hmm. Um, 15 weeks at number one, basically from June to September, this album had a lock on, on the number one position. Uh, it still holds the record uh, for most consecutive weeks uh, for a number one uh, by uh, number one album by female artists, most consecutive weeks mm-hmm. um, until it was broken in 2017. So, um, no, no, I take that back. It was it's the most consecutive week she still has that record, but then there was 300 and No, it had 302 consecutive weeks on on the charts as well. Adele broke that with 318 consecutive weeks wow. on the chart at wow. 27. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was on it was number 1 from June to just to unconfuse everybody, it was number 1 from June to September of 1971. 
spent 302 consecutive weeks on the charts in one form or another, kind of like Pink Floyd that we talked about. Sure. Yeah. Um, that was a record for a female artist. And then Adele would come along uh, 40 years later or give or take uh, and just unseat that. And done it. But, but Carol King had it. Uh, yeah. 14 times platinum. So that's uh, more than 14 million copies. Uh, that's a big one. Formidable. That's a big one yeah. for this kind of album. And I'm going to, you know, I'm not saying that uh, <laughs> in a demeaning way. We're going to, we'll get, we're going to get to, we're going right, to get to right. what that means. But this kind yes. of an album, what, what that means, uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. Once with her, her ex-husband, Jerry Goffin, as a songwriting duo. So they were in, yep. in, inducted in 1990 as songwriters. Then she was inducted in 2021, just last year, finally as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the kind of the, the statistical menagerie or mess that I made of some of that stats, but you can go back and re-listen to it and kind of fix that was what fine. I said. Was I'm not going to edit fine, it. We're by gonna, the way. We're leave. No, we're you don't need to edit nothing. That was perfectly fine. <laughs> Everything like, what was he saying? He said something, then he took it back, no, and then he was right, no. then he was wrong. We, no. We're going to leave it. We're gonna okay, leave. so you know, let, talking about the songwriting duo aspect, I guess yes. we, we could start there. Yes. Um, so let's start. Let's start with yeah. the Brill Building. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of prehistory we want to go into before we get to Tapestry in 1971 and the singer-songwriter movement. And yeah. mm-hmm. Carol King was it was a formidable figure and force in songwriting. She was, you know, bo- we don't like to give ages away, but she was born in 1942. Mm-hmm. Um, she was writing songs by the time she was 18, probably, yeah, maybe even basically. a little bit younger. Yeah. Uh, married uh, Jerry Goffin, so they became, you know, Carol King and Jerry Goffin as a songwriting team. Um, yeah. And then the Brill Building in New York, there, there was Tim Pan Alley, which is another hub of songwriting uh, and, and that type of activity. And then there was this, this Brill, the Brill Building, which it was called, mm-hmm. which was another kind of hub. It was a building where all these different offices and, and all these different songwriters had offices, artists, some artists had their headquarters there. Um, ju- just a, a small sample of, of some of the songwriters that were in in the Brill Building at the time. You may not know all the names, but I'm just going to pick out some of the big ones were Burt Backrack and Hal David, Sonny Bono, Neil Diamond, Tony Orlando, uh, Andy Kim, David Gates of Bread, if you know if you know Bread. Mm-hmm. Yep. Obviously, Jer- you know, Goffin and King were there. Neil Sedaka. Neil Sedaka, Jerry yep. Lieber, Mike Stoller. Yep. Oh, God. Doc Thomas uh, and Mort Schumann, Phil Spector. Those are some of the songwriters. Now, some and of the it, artists, hang on a second, some of the artists that had offices in the Brill Building. So that was the songwriting faction, and that was yeah. some of the, the big ones. Bobby Darren, The Drifters, Connie Francis, Leslie Gore, Liza Minnelli, Donald Fagan, and Walter Becker had offices in the Brill Building. <laughs> also at the time, uh, the Ronettes, Shangri Laws, yeah. Dion Warwick. So this was just a hub of, of creativity. So people are writing songs. Artists have their offices there. Um, something that you don't you don't see anymore. It was a it was an era. This was the early '60s, just to kind of frame yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, early to mid '60s, when Carol King and Jerry Goffin were, were kind of uh, staking their claim, you know, and then throughout throughout the '60s. Yeah, and and, and some of the notable songs that they've done I mean, is, is a whole slew. Of them. <laughs> I mean, one hundred and eighteen I mean, pop hits on the Billboard Top One Hundred. Yeah, that you would be, you know up the up on the roof by the Drifters. Uh, uh, just, you know, the Shangri-Las. I mean, a lot of the group, the people that you just mentioned that were there literally probably just walked down the hall into their office and got a song from them, <laughs> recorded it. And, and you know, so there, but there was an, also another songwriting duo 
that they were they became really good friends with uh, Barry Mann and Cynthia uh, Wheel. I think her name is Whitwell. Wheel. Uh, Wheel, who wrote probably there was like this yin yang thing of, of, mm-hmm. of, of some really great songs as well. And so they were kind of like alternating, like who was, who was the better songwriting duo. And I think it, it was like a friendly competition of sure. sorts, you know, and they became really, really good friends. Uh, but when, they, when, when their songs got, you know, played or they got made, you know, so there was that, that the healthy competition there where, yeah, we, we love them, but we hate them, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. So uh, yeah, that, that, that was, it's it's amazing to me that you know people started out there, and some of the most notable names that were just songwriters they eventually became artists themselves. Yeah, like they just like broke Neil out Diamond and just struck, to do struck their out own thing. Yeah, right. they were writing writing yeah. songs for other people. That was their job was just to kind of kind of churn out. And like you said, it was a competition. That you know these were offices that were close together, so they would yeah. be able to be sitting in their little cubicle and hear what other people were working on, and be like, oh my god, I was working on something similar. Now I need to kind of. Yeah. Think again, you know, um, just some of the, let me give you some of the highlights of, of the Goffin King um, collaboration. Yeah. Will you love me tomorrow by the Shirelles um, chains, which is originally done by a group called the cookies, but then the Beatles covered it. Beatles covered it. Uh, yep. The locomotion by little the locomotion <laughs> go away little girl by Steve Lawrence. But then Donnie Osmond did it uh, much later. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um I'm into something good, which was which not originally done by Herman's Hermits, but that would be their their uh, they they would make that one a hit. Yeah, uh, just once in my life by the Righteous Brothers. Don't bring me down by the Animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday. The monkeys by, um, by the monkeys. Yeah. Um, what else? You make me feel like a natural woman, woman. which is Aretha which Franklin. Of like course, she, Aretha Franklin's the, big, yeah, the definitive. Yeah, yep. the definitive <clears throat> one. So. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, the, and that's just some of the, the hits, but in the sixties, there's a chart, there's a listing, literally 118 pop hits on the billboard hot 100 that she co she wrote or co-wrote. Uh, this is a formidable person <laughs> yeah. that, that is, a, you know, she's said to have perfect pitch so she can hear notes and, and understand and, and sing them exactly and know what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is someone that's no less than a child prodigy. Cause this was discovered at a very early age. I think she was four or something like that. Um, so this is a person that was made for music. Carol King was it was genetically engineered by her parents uh, <laughs> to to yeah. to be a, um, a, a a songwriter bar none, and then to carve out her own career. Because some people spend spend their career and they make it's very great and lucrative as just a song as just a songwriter. I don't mean it that way, but yeah, as only a songwriter and don't venture out past that. I like and like you said, Neil Diamond, Tony Orlando. Uh, mm-hmm. David Gates that, you know, with bread, you know, they, they would yeah. eventually kind of cut their teeth there uh, and then say, you know, yeah, I want to, I want to do my own. I want to write the songs, but I also want to perform them because I maybe can do a, a better job or put a different spin on it. Well, she, when she, when she first started out, I think that's what she was only content to do was to be a songwriter. She didn't want to be famous. She didn't want to, you know, but she had that talent. She knew she, she knew she had, you know, this is something that I was meant to do. And, and, and ironically enough, it was, it was Jerry Goffin who wrote most of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. So when you think of songs like you make me feel like a natural woman, he wrote the lyrics to that song. He understood. And that's what made him such a, a, a formidable presence in himself mm-hmm. is because you're writing song from a female perspective. And yeah, um, that's amazing. And she, it's sort of like a, almost like an Elton John, Bernie Talpin type of situation where yep. Carol King 
wrote the melody, she wrote the arrangements, she, you know, she, and, and she was able to do it like that in, in, in an instant. I think uh, Tony Stern, who worked with her on the, on the album Tapestry, said that, that I could churn out a lyric. It would take me two days to come up with a lyric, give it to Carol, and she <laughs> would be, it, she, she would have it within yeah. like two hours, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, so, if you've yeah, got that understanding of music, right. it's, yeah. it's, you know, and, and if you're working in, in a competitive environment as a young person, right, you're talking, you know, early sixties, Carol King was 20, 22, 23 yeah. in, in this building, going to work every day where that's your profession, but you can hear what other people are doing. you you have to up your game, right? You, you can't just kind of lay back and be like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, you can do that, but you're not going to be very successful or you can rise to the occasion. And, and she just developed her and her and Jerry Goffin developed that ear. They developed their working relationship. They also were married. So there was, mm-hmm. there was that as well. Yeah. Uh, had a couple of kids together. So there was, there was a little bit more there. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're right. She, um, she just has had this in, inane set, knack to uh, be able to put music and, and write music and compose and then in 1971, kind of, uh, it, and it's interesting that it happened in 1971 because we would start to see um, the this emergence. overlap. Yeah, I want to talk about some of the albums of 1971, and I think yeah. you're gonna, I think you'll see that there's there's a, a distinct overlap of what was happening in 1971. Mm-hmm. So some of the albums that came out in 1971, <clears throat> "L.A. Woman" by The Doors, right? Yeah, "Pearl" by Janis Joplin. Um, on the on the flip side of that, um, you had uh, Paul McCartney's album Ram. You okay. had Yes put out two albums. They put out Fragile. They put out the Yes album, um, Madman Across the Water from Elton John, um, Mudslide Jim and the Blue Horizon by James Taylor. Yep, Tarkus by Emerson Lake and Palmer. Uh, What's going on by Marvin, Marvin Gaye? Yeah. So there was this Some big um, titles there. Yep. Cut, what, what it, and blue by Joni Mitchell, sticky fingers by the Rolling Stones. So there was this overlap of, of certain artists from the sixties kind of exiting the scene, like the doors, obviously because of death, but, you know, <laughs> uh, Janis Joplin because of death, but, but that whole, yeah. that whole hippie aesthetic, you know, was kind of go, it was, was kind of leaving. Right. Yeah, prog, yeah. prog music was coming in metal by Pink Floyd, which is still there. Probably their psychedelic still, you know, like kind of the last vestiges of that. Right. Um, yeah. But then you have full on prog music coming out, which was a whole other splinter. You know, we talked in the 70s where music really splintered into these different genres. Yeah. Uh, Black Sabbath uh, was, uh, you know, master of reality. So metal, you know, the, the beginnings of metal Zeppelin four came out in 1971 as well. So you see this mishmash of things, but the biggest selling album of 1971 was Tapestry. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think there's um, Vietnam was going on at the time. Yeah. And I think the, a lot of people were, 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 we, and I think we mentioned this as well at one point um, when we talked about, it might've been, well, we, we always mentioned, you know, all of these splinter things and all of these things that happened within this time frame, but people were looking inward People were frustrated. People, you know, were a little more introspective, introspective that. Thank you. And, and this type of album is what people needed. And, you know, this and stuff like Mudslide Slim and, you know, James Taylor and and Joni Mitchell's Blue, uh, which is another fantastic record. uh, It it, it was something that it wasn't overly, you know, produced, overly recorded. It was something that was very, very intimate and very, 
well, like you say, introspective, but yeah. you know, it's, it, it had the right salve to, to what was going on with people, people who felt defeated yeah, and, and, and wounded. And you didn't, and, yeah. Um, you didn't really see this in the sixties as much. If, if there was no. a person with a guitar by themselves on a stage, they were immediately considered a folk singer. No matter, <laughs> yeah. no matter, right. right no matter right. what, like, yeah. Okay. That, okay. Yeah. They're a folk singer. Cause everything, you know, when I was thinking about it, I'm like the sixties were really dominated by groups, Beatles, right. Stones, Doors, yeah. you know, Hollies, wh- whatever it is. It was dominant. It was really like groups that really dominated the 60s. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a lot of like solo artists, but then you get to 1971 and I started like kind of digging a little deeper. Um, and, and yes, I'm going to go through a list. And some of these artists had albums in the 60s, but they didn't start having hits until 70, 71. And let me tell you, t- tell me if you find a, you know, a common thread in these artists. Yeah. James Taylor, Gordon Lightfoot, Don McLean, Roberta Flack, Jim Croce, John yeah. Prine, Joni Mitchell, and Cat Stevens. They have anything in common? <laughs> they're all the same. Yeah, they're all singer They're all singer-songwriter, right? That, that right. singer-songwriter aesthetic was kind of bubbling in, in, the, in the late 60s. And and these you know Gordon Lightfoot had albums in the sixties, but he didn't get he didn't get popular until like nineteen seventy with mm-hmm. if you could read my mind and, and mm-hmm. those introspective things and uh, Roberta Flack same thing couple of albums in the late sixties, but then you know seventy one seventy two she gets popular Don McLean the poster boy for this type of thing yeah um yep. you know American Pie would come out in seventy two Odd, oddly enough his first album was called Tapestry it came out in nineteen seventy. That's wild. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. He was off by one year. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh my God, the best selling album in 1971 is Tapestry. No, not Don McLean's Tapestry. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so you, just by rattling off those names, that this is where it started. Like, I think, you know, this is kind of like the jumping off point. And then you've and got was a whole king. Yeah. It was a whole new type of thing too. It was like you mentioned folk, you know, everybody puts a, you know, you have an acoustic guitar. People were usually talking, singing about, you know, uh, rebellion and, and, yeah, and political, and, you know, politi- it was politically charged. You think, Dil- you, think, we were, you think Dylan right away. We are the voice of the people, Joan Baez. And, you know, these, but these were songs that were very personal, very, you know, yeah. very, inward very you know they were talking about love they were talking about relationships you know uh they, they were talking about life really i mean just everyday life not and not something you know like necessarily like you know like marvin Gaye would do what's going on and, and and reflecting on the times of course i mean yeah a lot of them did that too but but also that very personal Le- yeah less romanticized it, you know it, so, you know love songs right. in the 60s i love you you love me you know, yeah, we'll get this figured out. You know, thing, yeah, 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 yeah. Like you know, yeah, pop, this bubblegum pop. Yeah, exactly, of, you know, exactly. I'm into something you know, good, and even right. even Carol yep. King's songs reflect that. You know, right? Yep. Um, you get into the mid into the early '70s, and it is that inward look of, you know, am I in love? Do I love this person? It's not easy mm-hmm. being in love. Those types of things. Uh, you know, and and her song like "You've Got a Friend," yeah, direct re- almost a direct response to James Taylor's "Fire and Rain." Yeah. Um, he's got a line in there, you know, when you've got no friend, um, and then her response, well, you've got a friend, right? Yeah. So, so there, there, there is that kind of, uh, that tenderness as well that these artists all kind of started to uh, exhibit or start to kind of put out there in popular music. The difference with Carol King and, and Roberta Flack, I'll put her as well, is that they're the piano players. 
Everybody <laughs> yeah. else was that person with the guitar. Right. Um, yeah. Carol King comes in with with the piano, a, a piano based album. Um, that that sets it apart. It, it gives it a different sound. Mm-hmm. Although she's, for, you know, and, and you know, yeah, Elton John, Man, Man Across the Water was there with Levon and and the hits that he had, Tiny Dancer. Um, but she's kind of like the, you know, the female version of that. And it probably even obviously eclipsed him because, you know, she was the big deal. He was still kind of cutting his teeth and figuring things out. Yeah. Um, but she comes in with like, I feel the earth move, like the opening track. It's like, well, she already had you the know. skill. She already had the songwriting yeah. ch- skill. She, comes, she comes busting in. In this right. album, she comes yeah. busting in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know. And what, ironically enough, James Taylor was apparently the one who influenced her to go out on her own because at this point she was divorced from Jerry Goff and they moved mm-hmm. to LA um, and there was this whole thing. So she met a couple of other guys and, you know, those didn't work out necessarily. And, and it was, it was around this time that, you know, she had to break out on her own because this was something that, you know, well, I can't keep writing songs for people. I, I have to do this myself. And, 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 wasn't sure if it was going to be a success or not, but the, the idea of just having to do it just to get, just to do it, you know, was, you know, you got to try and her, that's her whole attitude was as long as you try, you, you may not succeed. People may not love you. I don't have the best voice in the world. I know like, you know, compare her to Aretha Franklin, it was, yeah. you know, natural woman, of course, <laughs> Aretha Franklin just takes it to a whole new level, but yet her version of the song, is something completely different. Yeah, she reclaimed no it less in a different way. No less, yeah, right, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and she got some help on this album too. So yeah. she, James mm-hmm. Taylor figures prominently in it. Um, you know, acoustic guitar, backing vocals. Joni Mitchell also is on this album. That's right. Um, yeah, some of the California guys that would be big in the seventies: Russ Kunkel, Danny big, Korchmar. Big ses- yeah, big session yep. guys: yep. Danny Korchmar, yep. Russ Kunkel, are the you know the epitome of like the seventies sound. Ronstadt, <laughs> uh, Carly Simon, right, right, yeah. you know, would be doing that. Also, uh, a gentleman by the name of Curtis Amy. Do you know what Curtis Amy might be popular, be known for in in uh, our circle? I, I <laughs> it's obscure. We're going. I'm going to get you. Obscure it's going obscure, but yeah. I mean, yeah, no, He's a, I don't. He, on this album, he plays flute. He plays tenor sax. Okay, um, yeah. Curtis Amy. In my life, (laughs) (laughs) where where's the bell? I know he's going there. No, we're getting we're close though. Okay, okay. But Curtis Amy in my life uh, played the sax solo at the end of "Touch Me" by the Doors. That was Curtis Amy. Oh, nice. You know they have all that horns touch. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And they've got the horn section, but at the end there's that sax solo. That was Curtis Amy. I was I was gonna I was gonna I was gonna <laughs> I was thinking of like uh, you know an balance e- of power ELO, an ELO, like, ELO like the ELO, like the, the yeah, sax on that there. album because yeah. there's some sax on some yep. of those songs so I was gonna oh he, you know <laughs> you know hey. what I should go look that up now and verify there you go but, <laughs> but yeah so so she assembled you know she assembled a roster of of players with her people that could get this done yeah. I don't think you, you know what it, it. I don't think it made a difference because what what comes across to me in this album is Carol and her piano. Yeah. Everything else can really go hang. Well, honestly, like, yeah, like, it, it, it was, if it was just her under, at, at the piano and they recorded and maybe a little James Taylor guitar, you, you're, you're fine. You're fine very, with this it's, album. It's a very understated album musically. You know, yeah. I mean, they're, the people are there, but they're not, you know, it's very subtle. I mean, the production is just way down. You know, like you say, Joni, you know, she sang backing vocals on, on, on one song and, 
I think she barely knows her. Yeah, she was right. Exactly. She was recording blue in the same studio, like right down the hall. Um, so it was, it, and, and, I, and I think a lot of these musicians were also playing on her album, also on James Taylor's album. I think yep. he was recording at the time. So there's this all, like everybody was kind of going in and out of, of, of just performing on each other's sessions. So yeah, that, I love that when they're thing. all in that. Yeah. I love course, that collaborative. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. James Taylor wasn't anybody yet. He was, he was most, right. most notably known as the guy that the Beatles signed to Apple records. Like he was an, you know, he's an Apple yeah. records artist. Uh, and then he had fire and rain and, and that's where he was pretty much at right now at this point in his career. So he was far from, from James Taylor, you yeah. know, that, that would yeah. be in the mid seventies that would have all those hits. He was an up and coming and, 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 you know, uh, Carol King was a little bit older than him. So, so she was kind of like a mentor to him because she kind of saw that. I he think had this, so. I think yeah, so. That, I think she definitely had a hand in his, the start yeah. of his career and they both kind of lifted each other because they were both musically in sync. Uh, doing the same kind of thing, and and uh, yeah, they they went hand in hand. Yeah, he I'm would record. You've you got know. a friend. He would do his own version of "You've Got a Friend," which That's was right. probably the the more popular version, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. hers is great, uh, but his his I think he would record it the a year later, um, mm-hmm. and that he would make that his one of his signature tunes. Uh, you know, back. Back then, when you know one of his early hits before he started, but, I, st- but that's what makes this album even more special. I think the fact that there is another her version of it is not a hit necessarily, and it's not one that you hear all the time. But when she does it, when you hear her perform it, it's uh, great. It's it is great, and and her you know this album you play it all the way through, and you know these songs come out, and like like you said, Natural Woman, her version of that, and uh, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow. That's a big, that's a big difference too. I mean, it's so slow. Very and different. So, and it's so sort of like, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. It's, it's a, it's a very, very, um, it puts you in a certain place, a certain mood. It makes you think, and it's still, it still works. It's still effective today. I, yeah. I it think it, it fits, know. it fits what she's doing on this album. So it's yeah. not like, oh, I'm going to cover. She's basically covered. She covers herself three times. Um, on this album. Yeah. But like you said, it's not like, oh, I'm going to do Will You Love Me Tomorrow, which was a a song by the Shirelles, which was definitely had the, the, you know, er, it was early 60s, 1961. I think it's got the girl group aesthetic. Um, No, she, you know, and and yeah, she's not going to try and compete with Aretha's version of You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. She doesn't need to because she wrote the song. (laughs) That's right. You know, she can kind of, she can kind of do and maybe maybe these versions were like her original workup versions, and then you hand them over to the producer, Phil Spector, whatever, and they, oh yeah, no, this needs to be faster, it needs to be. Well, that's an peppy. interesting point, and then they change I, it. But but it, you know, when you listen to the finished recording, it doesn't sound like that. Yeah, these most this could have, these could have been the way she she worked it up as a demo. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then of course the finished production is is something just something totally else and i've seen her perform her some of her older work and like you know like she would appear on variety shows and things of that nature like you know when she became popular i guess because of tapestry you know she went out on tour and stuff and and she would do these songs and do them the way they were close to what they were done like you know Mm -hmm. uh, the doo-wop stuff and you you would see her you know get up and, and actually perform these songs and dance and you know that kind of thing uh, very much so, so 70s. I mean, of course, everybody, yeah. you know, was in that mode of being that 
the, you, they, you they probably be, said if you don't do it the original way, no one's going to know it. Right. They probably right. made. I wouldn't be surprised if they said something stupid. Right. Like so that. you had to do it those. <laughs> way. Yeah, you're right. You, I mean, and, and to do, but everybody was a ham back in the day. Yeah. Like right. I mean, the '70s was like that. And you had well, it was all those variety, you know, the variety shows. <laughs> variety everything was just <laughs> over, over the top. You know, uh, and they loved it though. You could tell yeah, that they just it. having a great time, and we loved it too as kids. You know, watching the stuff, but. Yeah, you get back to this and you put it on, and it's just a completely different. You need an album like this. I think every yeah, it, does. it's a it's a mood no. changer. It's a it's yeah. an album you put on when you're in kind of a pensive or reflective mood. Right. Yep. Um, and, and you kind of let it let it you kind of go with it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, when I when I was listening to this a lot, I'm I'm kind of like yeah, it just kind of it kind of calms you down, and it mm-hmm. it's not a downer album. It's just it's not no. It's it's no. just reflective, and you kind of listen to her, and you just in in even if you don't know some of the songs, it doesn't yeah. make a difference because I just love hearing her sing, yeah. you know, um, like where you lead, um, it's it's like a gospel, it's got like a gospel tinge yep. to it, a gospel flavoring to it, mm-hmm. and Carol King can handle anything you throw at her, so you know she's got the tools, but she doesn't really need to show you that she's got the tools, you know. That's right, and and yeah. she does let it out, you know. When in her version of of Will You Love Me Tomorrow, she definitely goes for some of those notes in a way that that other song, the other song was kind of more of a pop rapper, you know, yeah. in a pop rapping. Um, mm-hmm. Her version is yeah, it's much more emotive, a lot more emotion behind it. It takes its time, yeah, voice, yeah. getting its to where time, it's going. There, there, there are yeah. those. She hits those levels, and and yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, and, and her but, and and then the way she just accompanies herself with with the piano on that, you know, she mm-hmm. kind of knows. What, you know, they almost sound like you like you said they almost sound kind of demoy. Um, yeah. but that's okay because it doesn't need a whole lot behind it because you've got her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and she was definitely an inspiration for young artists. Like, I think of people like Laura Nairo, who who was on the scene at the time, and she wrote yeah. some. You know, a lot. Of, Fifth Dimension did a lot of her songs and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of the soul groups and that kind of thing. And, and she wasn't exactly the greatest singer, but she had that same aesthetic of yeah. doing it her way. And her way was her way. It was, yeah. you know, you, you get something from that. And, and it, it, I think even Elton John said, said as much of, of both of them, you know, the saying, you know, I prefer their versions to, you know, the groups that did them. And even though they have the chops, they have the harmonies, they have, you know, all the polish to do this stuff. You, you, you sometimes you prefer the, you know, the introspective version because it, it is, it, it's, it's them. It's, it's them, you know, emoting that. And it's, a, it wasn't just about, uh, ha- you know, having somebody, a, a pretty face or, or someone who's, who was perfectly pitched to perform a song and do it just perfectly, you know, exactly. You needed this kind of personality in music at this point. And then a lot of these artists were like that. Jim Croce was was one of my favorites. I mean, he you know he yeah. doesn't have he doesn't have a tremendously fantastic voice, but I I love his voice. But it's just but again very per, you know just that yeah it's what they do with with what the they material. do with it and it's what they yeah, do it's, you know with the it's melody how they personalize and, it yeah it's right. same thing with yeah. with Don McLean it's kind of yeah. like you know the song Vincent mm-hmm. uh, or you know I didn't I didn't put him in here but even John Denver started kind of oh yeah. Oh yeah, early seventies kind of sunshine on my shoulders, and and kind of you know threw his hat into the ring as well. That's right. So there was yeah. this, there was this, you know, subculture, uh, and everyone would you know now it's or now it's kind of like light FM stuff. You hear it like that, but you know back then it was it was this this subset of artists that were kind of looking at lyrics and looking at at songwriting as a craft. Mm-hmm. 
and it was less about the production, right? Because it was more yeah. about, okay, yeah, I've got a, I've got an acoustic guitar, I can play it, uh, and we'll go with it, you know. And that's what a lot of these artists were, and Carol and, and Roberta Flack were like, I've got a piano and I can play it, so let's make that the centerpiece of what we're doing. And yeah, we don't need a big band or slick or string sections behind us. You really don't with any of these artists. You really don't hear that. You know, right. they keep it sparse, so they keep it. They keep so they can keep you on message, yeah. right? Yeah. But, so you're not like me being, oh my god, the beautiful butterfly, like distracted by the strings and distracted by the exactly. little right. little chirps and different things. It's like, yeah. no, this this kind of focuses you in. They keep it sparse to to kind of make sure that you're 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 invested in it, and that's that's what I got and out these, of this. And these people were. Tr- I'd like to think I don't know if this is the case or not, but you know, you, you're talking about an album that that is some of the albums that you mentioned, Led Zeppelin. You know, you would like to think that a lot of these groups, you know, they were equals. You know, and musically speaking, what they were doing and what they were trying to achieve, I think. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to think that Led Zeppelin, like, you know, when they're hanging out in the waiting to go on stage, you're listening to tapestry, <laughs> you know, because it was, I, I such a ground, it yeah. was such a groundbreaking thing, you know, like they, yeah. these artists were like really in, that was the thing that was, they were into that it wasn't about, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm better than you or whatever, or at least, I don't know. I mean, I, I, probably generalizing it too much, but I, I, I'd like to think that that was the case. No, I, I think just, so. I, I think a lot back then, so, I think it was more open. It was just, right. It was just, everything was happening all at the same time. I can't imagine any of these artists not really digging into what they were, oh, that's interesting and that's cool. And, it, you know, it's just because there's so much of it and so rich. Yeah, because it, so, it was more of a scene back then. It was more yeah, of like a, yeah, you know, a, a, everybody kind of knew each other. You know, it, it seemed like it was like a club. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, even, even though there was like a New York faction or a San Francisco and LA and an English faction within those factions, there was all this cross pollination of all these people knew each other. They would go to the, they would party with each other. Yeah. They'd be hanging out and the, you'd see a picture of, you know, Clapton sitting in the studio while someone else is recording or whatever, just kind of hanging out. That's right. Yeah. Not necessarily putting in their two cents, but kind of stopping, stopping in. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. I'm next door doing this. And they'll come in. Oh yeah. Let me watch a session. Genre well, see what's was, going not, on. was not a factor. You did wasn't that it didn't seem to have that separation. You would just everybody was kind of looking over they were just each artists over their fences, right? Looking to what the yeah. you know the next door neighbor was doing. Like, hey, I like what you're doing there. Let me come, let me come hang out with you. Like, I I I I, I dig that. You know that that's the spirit of that is. Uh, I don't know. Over the years, it just kind of changed. But I mean, things just became so much more compartmentalized you know just sort of like everybody was well, the in their innocent, own little the box innocence would wear off you know as yeah, yeah. as you got more into the 70s re, you know record companies you know there's gold in them their hills you know there's so many of these artists that they can just yeah. be signing 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 it you know and it became a money thing and then and you hear you know we, we've talked about on a couple of of episodes too where then artists start to complain about the labels and making them do stuff or not getting the royalties you know so then right. the the business of music got into the music business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of, it's sad. So, so this early seventies, you're, you're coming out of the, you know, that, that psychedelia and all the idealism of the sixties and, and kind of like, okay, now it's the seventies and, and you've got Carol King waiting for you just to kind of deliver, honestly, you know, 12 million copies. This, this album was a beast. You know, you want to say crunchy granola, chick music, you know, (laughs) You can label it whatever you want. This is just a fantastic album to oh. to sit and listen to. 
Oh, it was definitely a no. I I, agree, I totally agree with that. And but uh, but at, but at the same time, it it, it was. I don't a, think a, it's chick music. Just to clarify, no, it was a tremendous shot in the <laughs> arm for women artists, though. Oh, absolutely. Well. It was a landmark for you know. Yeah. I think everybody, even Tori Amos, had said you know, listening to Carol King's music was like stepping into her life. And if you know any of anything about Tori Amos's music, I mean, she gets real personal about. Yeah. some dark yeah. moments in her life and yep. won't she go goes there, all the but way. it's like, yeah, she goes all the way, but to, but to hear her praise people like Joni Mitchell and, and, and Carol King, it's, it's, uh, yeah. So just the to, influence just to put, is there, you know, put throw, we got to throw James Taylor in here one more time under the, under the bus, I suppose, because, um, you were talking about Tony Stern, lyricist, yeah. Yeah. um, the song it's too late mm-hmm. was written about James Taylor. After after they had an affair and it ended, yeah. It's yep. it, so her 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 words to him was it's too late, baby. Now it's too late. So we really did try and make it. So she yeah. had a fling with with him, and that that's where those lyrics came from. You know, yeah. um, and it's assert those are assertive lyrics too. If you're talking about from a woman's standpoint or, or where yeah. women were in 1971, voting and and just women's rights and all that stuff, the Equal yeah. Rights Amendment. Uh, yeah, for for there to be such assertive lyrics as well coming from from women, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and like you said, Joni Mitchell following up, and and all these other artists kind of championing that that movement, um, yeah, and it being popular, you know, this wasn't again, this was twelve million, so this wasn't twelve million women buying no, this album. No, I, I, I <laughs> you know, uh, you know I'm not ashamed to admit that I love yeah. this album, you know, that I could put it on and you and, know, and Zeppelin to it. Four only got to number two. In seventy yeah. one, yeah, it did not hit number one. She right. was basically, she was basically, she in June, she like walked in and spread her arms and said, "No one's getting by until I'm done," and that would be that would be in, that would be September, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so again, not this isn't. You could say, oh well, it sold twelve million over time. It did, but but in nineteen seventy one, it dominated the charts as well. Right. So this mm-hmm. wasn't one of those ones that had like a delayed fuse on it. This this made a huge impact in 1971 on the music business. Like I said, I, I believe it it heralded those other artists because when I looked when I looked up Gordon Lightfoot and I looked up Don McLean and some of these other ones and Jim Croce, they had albums in mm-hmm. 70, 69, 68, but they were none of the hits like Bad Bad Leroy Brown and 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 that kind of stuff wouldn't come until after after like 71. Yeah. Is when this it it be, all of a sudden I guess these artists became listened to because they were certainly there beforehand, yeah. but they weren't having any hits. Uh, they weren't being promoted in the right way as well. You know, it kind of shut, you know, again, it's easy to kind of earmark this stuff as, as light music and folky and kind of whatever. But then the, you know, in 1971, all those, those stars aligned and people were opened yeah. to start to listen to this kind of stuff. They were tired, maybe tired of, 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 like you said, you know, whatever was going on in society, the upheaval, and they wanted something that was a little more intimate. They, you they, know, that they, like I said, they needed it. not, not so far fetched. And even now people need an album like this. Huh? You know, we, I'll put it on, you know, you need I'm, this yeah. album on your turntable. You want this album <laughs> on your turntable. Because <laughs> in places deep down to, that you don't talk about, you want this album on your turntable. That, that's right. That's right. <laughs> there was a, there was a Jack impression there, for, there you go. Those people that go. are listening from he's still there. doing Jack, folks. Still <laughs> doing Jack. Um, there's an interesting documentary called when uh, when he uh, a few years back, 
she did that uh, concert at the Troubadour with James Taylor. They reunited yep. and, and yep, it was they a, teamed that's up. A, that's a fantastic uh, special for PBS special. We had, of course, you know, we went out and bought the CD and, you know, we listened mm-hmm. to that endlessly. And, um, but there was also another, uh, a companion documentary made called uh, Troubadours. And it was all about these artists and these singer songwriter artists and, and one of the things that Danny Korchmar was saying was, was, and I, I just, I, I loved what he had to say. Cause he, he's like, yeah, people put, you know, think that acoustic music is like, it's like fluff and it's like, you know, but these guys in my mind are badasses. James Taylor to me is a badass. You know, the, he's just as formidable as any like rock star or any mm-hmm. like heavy metal, Absolutely. Like, you know, and it's so true. It's yeah. so true. One only needs to listen to how these songs were, were made, how they were written, what they're saying, the feeling that it gives, the emotion. That is what it's about. And, you know, this, and to me, it's just, it's some of the greatest music ever, you know, ever made. You know, I love this period of, 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 of stuff. And even now there are, there are artists that are emerging that they're, I suppose, kind of carrying on that, this, that, that tradition of acoustic kind of stuff. But of course, oh, yeah, absolutely. putting in the, you know, the 2000 futuristic <laughs> flair, I suppose, but what, 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 you know, it's inevitable. You can't, you can't, uh, you know put that aside and no and there, there's plenty I, you know to do their thing but it's just like yeah it, and it's easier um, for today to someone to actually you know what it's it's easier for someone to be a, this type of an artist in today's music because um as an opening act you don't have to have a backing band I, i've gone to plenty of like uh i've gone to plenty of shows where the opening act was just a, a, a guy or a gal with an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and the set was all acoustic uh, maybe maybe a bass player would come out or someone, you know, yeah. uh, playing some bongos, but that's it. So, you know, I think people are also realizing the the economics of of being this kind of artist because you don't have to worry about assembling a band. You can kind of right. there's not a very, lot of overhead. You, know, you don't have a yeah. lot of like, you know, a big giant setup and you know, yeah. and it's, it's easy and, to get gigs. You, know, yeah. you can kind of right. show up. Exactly. You don't got to yeah. you don't got to pay people. <laughs> you don't got to split it. Honestly, you know, yeah. yeah, a lot of a lot of those kind of alt. Uh, folk stuff that i listen to now in alt rock like avid brothers and watch house and yeah donovan yeah. frankenreiter they'll, they'll all have artists that open up where it's just a person with a guitar yeah and you get an acoustic set so that that uh that is certainly still alive and well it's it's unfortunate i mean it just doesn't get you just don't hear this music though you have to nowadays you have to go seek it out in 71 yeah. it was invading you know the, these artists were kind of it was almost like 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 Endgame when they're all like lined up at the end. All these like these these singer songwriters were, were lined up and getting ready to assault the charts because once it happened, you know, Cat Stevens, yeah. and all these people just you know the only one that didn't have any hits in my list I think was John Prine, like as far okay. as radio hits. But John Prine was right there, you know, Angel from Montgomery I think was on his well, day. He's baby a force to be yeah in you know, himself. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he yeah. He, you know, he, he was a song, yeah. he was a guy that was a a a, a, a songwriter and a recording artist. But people were, were recording his songs, but he was doing them himself first. So I don't, he wasn't yeah. really like a songwriter only. He was like a, doing his own stuff, but then people were covering his songs on his from his albums and, and really loving it. Yeah, but, there were a number of people. Leonard Cohen was was yeah. You know, people were doing his stuff, and you know, like JJ Kale, yep. uh, Clapton did. I shot the sheriff, but JJ Kale and himself was was producing his own music, writing his own music in his own little corner in California there. And he didn't, he, he didn't want to branch out. He didn't really want to, 
Clapton was the one that actually pulled him out of that that sort of like little hole that he was sitting in. And and man, he's fantastic. You know, a lot of his music is just if you hear some of that early stuff, it's just beautiful. You know, Magnolia and, you know, oh man, it's just it's it's yeah, really, I, really. And he had such a great a uh, very distinct guitar style and and voice and yeah I mean this you yeah, know, I, you, you, I think once so. once the the record company started making money with it mm-hmm. well then yeah we want to start signing more so that was a great thing you know it was a great thing that this album did so well because then it did open the doors for record companies to be open to these types of of uh, of artists and yeah. to sign more. And to mm-hmm. maybe take more of a chance or extend contracts. Like I said, you know, Gordon Lightfoot or these other guys, these guys had three or four albums beforehand that were duds. And then all of a sudden they hit the seventies and uh, they're just cranking them out. You know, so, yeah. so I think it was the confidence now that the label had as, as this uh, is a viable source of revenue, mm-hmm. which, which they care about. Um, but then what it allowed for the listening public is to, is to be exposed to all these artists as well in this, in this ki- kind of, Time frame because as you started to move towards the mid seventies, it would kind of want you know you 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 know James Taylor would be the last man standing. But I put it this way: um, Carol King's next album it sold like a million copies, which is nothing to to fourteen million. Mm-hmm. And then she was basically off the charts. You know yeah. she was done; like she didn't have anything. Her next album had Jazz Man on it, yeah. um, which in itself then, was like this big produced like yeah. thing. Like the arrangements were bigger. Like you know as as the music grew. Even these acoustic bands, they had this lush arrangement, strings and horns, and you know, all this stuff. Started, she couldn't know. buy a hit yeah. after this, though. Yeah, right. So yeah. she kind of like like tapestry kind of rose, um, exposed people to to this type of music, and she recorded prolifically through the through the seventies, through the eighties, through the nineties. Recorded, recorded, recorded. Yeah, but did not have anything like one. Like I said, that one hit afterwards, James Taylor would would kind of take it and, and run with it. And Carly Simon would take it and run with it. Yes. Mm-hmm. But then by the, by the end of the seventies, you know, this type of music just got washed away by the eighties. Like you couldn't, right. you know, James Taylor survived. He, he was probably the only guy that kind of made it through uh, yeah. in, in meaning in a popular way. Obviously Joni Mitchell was there throughout and she was, she was, well, very Joni she got went to a jazz, a jazz yeah, kind knew, of yeah, period. She knew how to reinvent herself. She was, yeah, she, was she kind of moved away from a lot of from, different pockets. Yep. You know, so yeah, she knew she was an innovator that way. So, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But, so, uh, so there was that that singer songwriter aesthetic would 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 almost be looked on now as a hippie thing or mm-hmm. very much of the early seventies. Um, but the influence was, like you said, is was felt far and wide. Though that yeah. that's the the thing is. Yeah, the, these guys are now on the kind of, you know, the hit circuit or, or whatever. Um, and some passed away, like Jim Croce didn't even get a chance to. And, I know, too um, soon. To do Way anything. But yep. um, but yeah, James Taylor, I, I saw James Taylor in... We both saw him mid, together. Mid-80s? I saw him at the, in the mid-80s, I think it was. We saw him in White, was it White Plains? Yeah, Westchester County the, Center. You were there? That's right. That's Yeah, I was with you. And so with was Mr. our friend John. You know, we Mr. were there. Mr. Leland Sklar on bass. <laughs> Yeah, it was a great his, show. His, his big claim to fame, he always, oh, I had this beard before Jerry Garcia, or I looked like this before Jerry Garcia. Like, that's his claim to fame. Yeah, he's got a lot. YouTube thing going on. Yeah, I he's, think, got, he's know, got his own channel. He talks he's about always, music. He talks about songs. You know. But he's always talking about Phil Collins. Phil Collins. I mean, Phil Collins CBO. always comes up. <laughs> like, oh, it's another Phil Collins episode. But yeah, but yeah, he talks about it. gets about the views. Beard. It gets the views. <laughs> yeah, Lee, uh, uh, that's a strange thing is Lee Sklar was like a, is like a, a faithful bass player for James Taylor. Yeah. 
but then did double duty in Phil Collins band. But yeah, uh, as Phil Collins is a solo artist. Go figure. Grabbed yeah. Lee Sklar, who's a pro among <laughs> pros. I mean, you know, if you can get Lee Sklar, you may as well get him. Yeah. The fact that he said yes was the weird thing. Right. And uh, <laughs> our friend Andy, who's, uh, you know, frequent contributor to to the podcast, um, he uh, his uncle, he had an, uh, an uncle. His name was Eric. And um, he looked exactly like Lee Sklar. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I, when I, when I, I think we were watching like a video or something one day when and he saw, and he saw footage of Lee Sklar, he goes, he looks like just, just like my uncle Eric. <laughs> yeah. Unless yeah. Lee Sklar said something, maybe, maybe it wasn't yeah. Jerry Garcia. Maybe he said I had the the beard before ZZ Top or something like that. He was, yeah. he was, he was talking some smack about, about what, about some aspect of, you know, cause he's got the really long beard, like, yeah, you know, like ZZ Top. And like Z, that's yeah. kind of like his... <laughs> You can barely see his face. He's all beard and mustache. Like that's like the thing right. about it's Lee Sklar. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he would be you know, a stalwart though, member of, of James Taylor's yeah. uh, studio band and, and touring band as well. So um, yeah, it looks like James Taylor kind of, you know, was able to ride it. Now in 2014 though, uh, Carol King would see a resurgence uh, on Broadway mm-hmm. and they came out yeah. with a show called beautiful, which celebrated and, and put a story um, to her, her life and her music and her lyrics and her experiences. So it was great to, to that, even though she kind of literally flashed, you know, as far as music goes, flashed for a year, shone brightly and then kind of didn't do much. Yeah. You can't discount everything she did before as well. And that well, the right. fact she was still writing songs, but they just, it just wasn't connecting. It just kind of stopped connecting. So in 2014, they had the, uh, the Broadway music, Beautiful. The musical, right. but but like well, like I said in the beginning, you know, she was never really looking to become famous. I think she found peace in her personal life. She moved to Idaho. She had a farm. She was really in touch with nature. She, this whole like, and she was very very content to live her life that way. She could still write songs, and it was just enough to get her, you know, to get her what she wanted in life. And that I I, I think that's great. I mean, you know, it's like I. Uh, but yeah, and then the musical happened and it's like, you know, why, why are they making a musical about me? Like, you know, but then you figure, <laughs> why not? Right. Yeah. I mean, you're celebrating not only tapestry, but you're also celebrating all that great music you did before then, well, before all these artists. So yeah, it's, it, and if they, that, if and they that can is, make a musical about Spider-Man, they can make a musical about Carol <laughs> or King. King Kong. There's a King yeah. Kong musical on Spider-Man on, turn off the dark and the, you know, Spider-Man's like <laughs> falling off the ceiling, breaking his back and they have to cancel shows. Make one about Carol yeah. King. It's going to be right? someone behind a piano. It's low risk. Right. No stunts. No, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But even though, but I've seen footage of the show and of course they, they amp it up where it's like yeah. people dancing and, oh, you know, they're, they're playing, you know, you know, you, you, I feel the earth move and it's a whole big production, you know, but it's like, well, it's cool. You know, it's still, it's still really safer dumb. than Spider-Man. I'll tell you, that. <laughs> I, I can say that without having seen either one, that that was probably a safer production than Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. The dark, so. Right. Um, <laughs> as we, as we close out, uh, safe to say that the hits are, are the, are the big ones. I mean, let, let's just run through a couple of these. It's, it's, I feel the earth move so far away. It's too late. Yeah. You've got a friend. Will yeah. you love me tomorrow? And you make me feel like a natural woman. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's like half the album right there. Right. And it's, you know, of, well, of, I- of either new new classics or her revisiting her old classics and really putting her stamp on them, I, I you know you're not going to go wrong. No, you're not. I, I I I would argue that it's a perfect album all the way through. I don't think there's any filler on this record. 
but yeah, you're right. I mean, some of the maybe, maybe Smack Water Jack might be. Well, I, I, it's I a cover, it. but it's okay. That, that one's. If I, I had it. to pick a weak one, I'd go with Smack Water Jack. Everything else, that because that kind know. of feels feels out of place in in the rest of the feel of the album, but mm-hmm. it's still good. Well, it's, it's still it's good. That kind of thing where that's the kind of thing that she would lean into, like in further on in her career when she would start performing these kind of, and then she would you know get into like the the band aspect of, of the music and uh, but, but so far away, probably my favorite track. I always loved that song. Even then, like even before yeah. I knew what, what tapestry was and what, how important that album was at the time. And you'd hear that on the radio. And I was always like, oh, this, is, you know, this is a great song, but I'm a, <laughs> should I like this or should I be into Led Zeppelin? You know, or, I'm, you know not, I mean? like, I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm not crying. You're right. Crying. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I would go with, I feel the earth move only because it opens the album. Yeah. And it is just like, it just, the album just kind of kicks off and it, it kind of like, it, it's like the launch. It's like the blast off of the album. And I really oh, yeah. like the way, how it, how the album starts off so strong with that. And then so far away and then it's too late. So you should really, you know, it, it really is smartly arranged the album tracks too. It kind of gets you, gets you in there, gets you in the mood. Yeah. And then you, then you go along for the ride the rest of the way. Well, there was an interesting point made. Um, I think in one of these, the documentaries that I mentioned that about the, the order of the songs and how tapestry the, the, itself uh, or the song that closes outside one, it's almost like an interlude. It's like, it's like an intermission type of song where musically it, it 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 feels like that like you you have a song that kind of it's not really like a hit type of song but it's like it 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 serves a function that you know you're going to get up change the album you know you're going to turn it over but it's mm-hmm. that kind of song that leads you into doing that you know interestingly yeah. enough it that and it works that way and i thought about it i'm like hey man that's you know that's that's so right because i was used to listening to it of course on cd and you know you listen to it all the way through but then on vinyl it's it's a different whole different experience as as it usually is so um but that's something we could hopefully talk about in the future (laughs) you know and to to close out the the homage um there was an artist that sang a song which i thought was carol king Mm -hmm. any ideas it's actually a guy and and you know, for, for a long time, I thought it was Carol King. And it's this song, I Saw the Light by Todd Rundgren. Todd Rundgren. Okay. Because it was inspired. It was inspired by, by I could see it. Carol yeah. King and Lauren Nero. And, uh, and, and his vocal performance sounds like Carol King. He it sounds like. Yeah. Something, anything is a fantastic. Uh, yeah. But record. specifically, yeah. I Saw the Light is very, it sounds very much like a Carol King song. You're right. And the vocal, because he used to sing it. in that, yeah. he used to sing in that higher, he used to have a very high angelic voice. So he could pull off. Yeah. Yeah. Sounding like Carol King. And if you listen to I Saw the Light, maybe I'll throw it in the show notes. Um, yeah. Give it a listen and close your eyes. And be like, yeah, I, I could. That might this be could Carol be King. on tapestry. It, it, yeah. it, it, well, it I don't does know if it'd be sound. on tapestry, but it's, it sounds like a Car- like Carol King because he just Type song, he yeah. hit he hits that even with his with the the quality of his voice because because it, it sounded very effeminate, um, yeah, which yeah. was perfect for this song, you know. And of course, hello, it's me. But that you know, if that was his big hit, but I saw the light was his 
kind of his mind. Well, that's, but that's that one's a little bit different. It's a yeah. more of a different register. But yes. yeah, I, I totally see it. Yeah, I totally, you know, it's you're you're right. It it does sound like a, a song that she would have written. Yeah. The arrangement, the you know, the the, the melody. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's got the Rundgren spin on it, the Rundgren weirdness in there a little bit. Yeah. But overall, it's a it's a pop song that kind of is is an homage to those two songwriters. And I'm glad you brought up Laura Nero. So uh, and then and then of course the you know respect. the backing vocals too, like the harmony yeah. that a lot of these artists did it themselves. But it was like that kind of. Yeah, yeah, I totally see it now. And the more I think about it, the yeah. more. Now you're going to go. Okay, we need to end the show so Eric can go listen to I Saw the Light and, and then he'll text me like, yeah. Yeah, so we're gonna Big we're gonna hopefully up. give you the same experience, and we're gonna yeah. we'll, we'll drop it into the show notes. I'll drop a link to the music video, uh, so you can listen to that and check it out. Because you're gonna listen to Tapestry on your own anyway. It's on Spotify. It's available. So check that out, and then we'll give you that little extra bonus kicker. Uh, and that's gonna do it for this episode of the Thirty Three Twenty Four Podcast. A blast talking about Tapestry. Mm-hmm. Wow, one of the classics. Um, and I know I'm glad we did. I think everyone should listen to this. I think it fits nicely in with with our Billy Joel. Uh, our, our Elton John episodes, our Fleetwood our Mac Steve episodes, Mil- Carol, Steve Miller Carol band, King, yeah, yeah, Carol <laughs> yeah. King fits right in there. So we're not. This isn't so so much of a stretch. And if you've never listened to Tapestry, sit down and give it a whole listen. You know, you're going to know a lot of it if you listen to AM radio or classic or oldies radio. You're going to know a, a decent amount of it, so uh, it won't be a stretch. But get to know the rest of of the album and really kind of take in uh, what what could, she can do vocally. So we're mm-hmm. going to leave it there. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for, for checking us out. Join us on social media. You know all that. We said it in the beginning. We'll leave it here. Um, for Eric, this has been Dean, and we will catch you on the flip side. You've been listening to the 3324 Podcast with Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important, so make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast and on Twitter at 3324p to join the conversation. 